Uh, welcome everybody to the Rule Not the Exception podcast. We are back again. So we have um, a phenomenal actress in oh. the room with us today. Someone who I had the pleasure with of working with. Um, God, it's been too long, hasn't it? I don't, when did we do it? 2013? <sighs> was I it? Say, I think it was 2013. 2013, okay. Yeah, we, uh, for anyone listening, um, myself and our guest, who I'll introduce in a second, did an episode of Silk where I remember her American accent was pretty flawless. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, we have Elena Matsura in the building. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> First and foremost, I think I said the name correctly, didn't I? 100%. Okay, cool. Do you find people don't? Do you yeah. have to correct a lot of people? Uh, yes. Uh, I get more more in the States. They go Eleanor Matsura. Oh, they I get, get both of them wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm always Eleanor Matsura. Yeah, that, it's over pronounced or pronounced in an odd way okay um yeah i i did people do trip over it quite a lot they don't have the confidence to just be like it's alana matsura right and i'm yeah. like yeah <laughs> so you did really well well done do they try and shorten and do you have a shortened word do people call you ellie do you yeah like ellie? everyone calls me ellie okay you guys can call me ellie oh. friends call me ellie. We're there, come on yeah. we're there we're already yeah, there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah we did an episode of silk together which yeah. was fantastic we had obviously maxine peak yeah the best rupert henry jones is obviously one of the regulars on that and we had ace butty as well who was playing my uncle and it was just a really fun episode that we did wasn't it for a few weeks um it i remember was. we shot in like wembley stadium I do you remember, remember doing that, that interrogate yeah. with some of the question scenes it was that was that was a really really fun experience i i really to this day i really really enjoyed that compared to some stuff just over the years I think Silk definitely stands out as one of those jobs that was sort of done very well I thought the scripts were really smart I think that probably helped by having someone like Maxine lead the company Um, it's interesting though because I was thinking about who we were playing and how we came to meet so you were playing a terrorist and I was playing a hard-nosed American lawyer who gets shit done but is super unlikable which I've played quite a lot of those in my have you? Career. Since then or just generally before that as um, well? Since then, yes. I mean, that was, I'd say that was one of many times that I yeah. played. It's really interesting story. how you get typecast, isn't it? And it's, I'm sitting here watching you and Saga was like, oh, when you meet her, you'll like her. She's really confident and self-assured. Uh. <laughs> and I see why she works a lot. And like, I totally get it. And I'm working at the moment um, in a play with Moyo Kande, who is um, about six foot two. Um, oh, wow. But she has the same sort of aura of confidence and and, and that kind of presence. Um, and she says that's what she goes up for, the hard-nosed, either the yeah. bitch or the, you know, yeah. the really confident but slightly unlikable. Yeah. It's an interesting typecast, actually. Yeah. Because it's almost yeah. making strength um, a negative. It is. For women, I think that we, uh, particularly we come up against that a lot. Um, to be strong is somehow unlikable or unpalatable. Um, to be powerful Mm-hmm. You mu- it must have to come at a cost. I found yes. that I've paid, I played, played loads of women like that where um, she's ambitious, but at what cost? Mm. You know, she's she's at the top of her game, but she's ruthless. Um, it seems like that's always shed in a negative light. It's yeah, not something it's that's uh, celebrated in a way that it's celebrated for for guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have I have played that part a lot. Do you think um, you've become more aware of that as I suppose your career has? moved forwards and those same sort of character breakdowns because I'm the opposite I'll get strong but vulnerable <laughs> you know really that kind of stuff and are you allowed to be vulnerable I am I am assuming a lot of that comes to my size I'm five foot two. Oh, interesting um, okay and, and build probably mm-hmm. so I'm wondering whether that idea of being vulnerable 
just relates to that. And well, somebody as statuesque as you might get that whole. Well, I you know, think what I'm hearing is is, is that it always comes down to your looks, which is what we women suffer with so much in the industry. Yeah. And actually, to be fair, men as well, um, totally. especially when it comes to being, for want of a better better word, ethnic minorities. I think the look thing. Uh, the vulnerability and the look thing is so... I can't help but think it is very gendered, though. You know, for for women to be allowed to play vulnerable, they have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Small, pretty, you know, petite. Uh, women like me, I'm not six foot, I'm five nine, but I... Uh, and That's still considered that's still above tall. average height for a female. Yeah, 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 especially someone who's Japanese, because I think yeah. Yeah, that most Japanese um, women are very small and slight. A frame, but um, I'm I'm sort of this weird mix. Uh, my dad's very tall for a Japanese man. My mum is also fairly tall, so I, I got th- I got the weird height from my dad. Um, I don't look completely Japanese. I have very English mannerisms. I think I think somewhere between my sort of <laughs> my harsh-looking <laughs> features and. Uh, and my loud She's beautiful, voice. guys. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, I'm sitting here. Hey, 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 Which hey, bit I'm of her is I'm harsh? Not <laughs> I'm not fishing. That's not what I meant at all. I think I, I, think I get cast, like, genuinely, I think I get cast as um, harder uh, mm. women. Um, and uh, I think that's something to do with also... I, it's funny how you say confidence, because, you know, I, I don't feel confident a lot of the time. Um, but I think I have maybe quite a loud voice yeah. <laughs> and and I think that gets mistaken sometimes mm. for confidence and I but think I the combination think of those two things interesting talking about confidence because I think to a lot of people I'll come across quite confident mm. as well but my label will be sassy right. so it's interesting that your label would be something different to that and yet it the root of it is the same that we're yeah. both people that are quite comfortable in ourselves do you have a preference with being labeled I mean no one likes labels of course but if it was the the stronger sassy character or the frail vulnerable one do you get seen for both do you prefer one or the other well i never get seen for both i never get the frail vulnerable character is Um, that something you'd want to explore yeah oh i think any kind of complexity Mm -hmm. i think is nice you know like i think all too often uh the character descriptions still are very very broad and i think we're still trying to move away from the idea of powerful women being ruthless and hard-nosed as opposed to powerful women being complex and interesting and have both strength and vulnerability at exactly the and same wanting time wanting family as well right yeah. right exactly yeah. all of those things all of yeah. those things that i think most male characters can have and still be complete and seen as messy and flawed and brilliant and and still we seem to struggle with it with women more but having said that you know I've got to play a lot of uh, baddies, and baddies Which are I often would love to play, right? Man. Like they're kind of fun. I'm the one stuck in the boot, yeah. the one strangled and killed, and all yeah. that jazz. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I look at characters like you and actors like you, and go, oh, God, they get to have all the fun, man. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, <laughs> there's definitely more scope for fun mm. in the baddies. Uh, and in those kind of characters, which is which is something I've always been grateful for, I suppose. And 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 knowing that that's my lot, I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, I appreciate that. There's a bit more fun to be had, um, but it's slim pickings, isn't it? I'd like to think that we're all moving in the direction more where the characters that we're going to be going up for as actors are going to be richer and more complex mm, and more yeah. um, more, I suppose, full of contradictions. You know, um, more human. I mean, we'll uh, we'll definitely touch on that a, a bit later on, but just quickly while we're on it, do you find that's changed since you started? Are you finding more complex, layered roles to maybe when you left drama school? I do think that. 
Um, but there's so much work to do. And, you know, when, 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 I, when I first left drama school, I had a very clear um, sense, uh, and I had a very clear idea that was sort of given to me that, look, looking like you, there's going to be certain types of roles available to you, and there's going to be a lot of them that aren't. And I just took that as gospel. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to be the lead. I'm going to be the supporting if I'm lucky. I'm going to play um, interesting sidekicks again if I'm lucky, um, or baddies. That's kind of that's kind of the the, the sort of dish that I was served. Um, and going up for certain roles, I mean, my God, the, the character descriptions back then were hilarious. It was like you know. Uh, Brilliant, but beautiful, um, gorgeous, leggy, uh, you know, like a face that like, you know, amazing angelic features. I mean, like like the kind of stuff that you just sort of go, this is ridiculously impossible. This, that's it's not just... character stuff. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what are you asking me to work with? Then? Exactly. It's yeah. just it's just like, brilliant, but beautiful. Like you can't be both. You can't be both brilliant, right. but beautiful. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you're, you're going for the scientist, but my God, she's gorgeous. You know, it's just the objectification of, of women again. That has disappeared I think um, I'm noticing less and less that uh, that's appearing in things that I audition for um, a sort of physical description um, for, for women but I am wary of what it's being replaced with because I don't I don't know if that's just fixed it like there was an excellent article uh, that Britt Marling I don't know if you know the actress mm -hmm. Britt Marling mm -hmm. yeah. did you read that article that she wrote for the New York Times I think um, where she um I won't do it justice, but 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 essentially she was talking about the idea of the strong, the strong female character. She was talking about how problematic that is. The idea that like what is this idea of a strong female character? Like what what are we doing with that as an idea? And she made that she said it like there was one sentence that she said where she says, I think what the strong female character is now become is we're trying to make the female character give her male characteristics so it's a woman acting like a man but in the body of someone that you want to still fuck mm -hmm. and right. I was like oh my god that's that is you've, she's just hit the nail on the head that is a lot of the characters that um, I've been it going is, up for and I'm wondering whether a society plays a part in this because it's almost kind of especially with the younger generations it's cool to be a lad's lads girl you know yeah like, yeah and and oh but i'm not like other girls and, and all that kind that kind of dialogue and yeah. that kind of conversation so it kind of fits in with that idea of well if you act like a man but you can be sexy or whatever the idea of sexy is at the same time then you're ticking everyone's boxes and that's what's strong right it's a woman but still through the gaze exactly of the privileged white male exactly you know so it's mm -hmm. like we, we sort of feel like oh great this is changing like i'm this character I'm going up for, she she fights and she's she's a mum as well and she's you know she's a boss and she's all these things. That's great, but um, when you sort of break it down, it's actually uh, it's it's a woman acting like a man and all the things that we attribute to a man, which is this sort of strength and power and um, and there still has to be that element of desirability to the women. You know, she still has to be gorgeous. Mm. She still has to be someone you want to sleep with. So I'm wary of that of not being too fooled by even though we, we you know the descriptions where they out out and out objectify women mm -hmm. they've sort of died away I don't know yet if we've replaced them with something that's um, really worthy yet okay 
it's a step in the right direction. Is that fair to say? I worry about it being a band-aid on something mm-hmm. that um, isn't fixing the problem. So we go, see, see, oh, we've got all these strong, quote-unquote, female characters. And you're mm-hmm. like, is that is that the answer? Yeah. But it's the same thing when, you know, when the diversity word is, yeah. is flung around yeah. um, and everyone pats themselves on the back because, oh, we're seeing more brown and black faces, but actually in what context are we seeing them and what role do they actually play Yes, in, yeah. in that play, that TV show, that film? What kind, are, are they still really getting any depth or are they just a tick in the box? I, I do believe, because I'm an optimist, and, you know, as actors, I suppose we have to be optimists, <laughs> um, that there will come a day sort of in the future where you will see Asian actors, people of colour, black actors just be the leads in comedies, romantic mm-hmm. films, you know, all that sort of stuff, without there being a comment on their race. Because isn't that the thing that we're all kind yeah. of striving yeah. for, ultimately, that there it's not this some. tokenism? I think there are some. Yeah. But I think it still has yet to get to the stage where those things are incidental. And for it to be somewhere where being female is incidental, I think actually yeah. we're really far away from that. Um, I'm really aware that we've gone really deep. Sorry. Yeah. Really I'm like, oh, let's get <laughs> Which is great. Which is great. <laughs> no but, fun and games. Let's just get all right. But for all our listeners that don't um, know about your um, heritage and, and mm. your upbringing, which is really fascinating, would you be able to fill in those little gaps? Oh, sure. Where shall I start? Um, at the beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> I was born in 1982. <laughs> um, I, yeah, um, my my parents, um, my dad's Japanese, my mother is British, and I was born in Japan, but we didn't stay there too long. And then we moved to LA for my dad's work. My dad worked for a Japanese bank. And so I I think I was in LA till I was about five or six years old. So I learned how to speak with an American accent, um, which I think is why I have this uh, uh, particular connection, you know, with, with playing American characters because I sort of feel quite close to the accent. Um, but then we came back to the UK and that's where I did the majority of my growing up. So yes, I decided to try out for drama school when I was, I think, 19. Um, ended up going to Central. Had a pretty sort of standard route through drama school and, you know, the typical kind of like, I got I got through it. I had an, I had an okay time. I got my agent who, um, who I'm still with now. Um, and and just sort of started there, like like started trying to build something of um something of a career. Uh, what was it that um, prompted you to apply for drama school and want to do acting? Um, was that something that you'd done throughout your childhood? I've always wanted to do it. I can't I can't give you a sort of an age like exactly, mm-hmm. but I knew it was always something from very very young where I, where I wanted to do it. Um, I remember thinking, <laughs> just to dive in really deep, I remember thinking, this is this is how I can understand the world better. Um, like, through stories, books, TV shows, movies. As a kid, you know, that's how I sort of made sense of the world, I think, that they're, they're the things that resonated with me the most, changed how I viewed things sort of made me um, made me sort of feel like I had a little bit of uh, understanding about what this life thing was all about. Yeah. Um, I had a very strong sense of 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 the power of storytelling, I suppose, um, and I just wanted to do it. I had no idea how to do it. My family aren't in the industry at all, um, 
But I just had a, f- a, a feeling that I was like, this is what I want to do. Were there um, any books or films um, that particularly sort of had an impact on you when you were growing up as a kid? Because you sound like you were one of those kids that was really Well, I'm an 80s kid. Yeah. So so it was a lot of Spielberg. It mm. was a lot of like um, magical fantasy movies, Labyrinth and um, The Goonies and mm. all that sort of stuff. You know, real like sort of fantastical adventure. I think in a way that was sort of my education, really. I, I, I was always fine at school. I sort of, I never particularly excelled um, in and any subjects that weren't art related. But I didn't do like terribly at them either. Um, but I just felt like that was where, that was where I was doing most of my learning, you know, mm. um, was in sort of uh, books and books and films, so. And in um, terms of sort of your Japanese heritage, mm. um, coming from a biracial family, I know that a lot of the storytelling would, would infiltrate from both those cultures as well as the British culture that I spent some of my childhood in. Did that factor into um, your home life and how much of, being Japanese has impacted you yeah. throughout the years. You know, it's 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 interesting. My relationship with um, my the Japanese side of my family and and my father is, it's I I'm so I'm still working out kind of my identity, I suppose, mm. which might sound like a strange thing to say, but I I don't speak Japanese, um, and I never did because my dad didn't teach me when I was little. He was so busy working. Um, he had a really sort of, you know, high-powered, like, job where he was away, like, working long hours. And I know from having a kid now myself, if you want to teach them a different language, you've got to, you've got to start real young. Get in there while they're two years old. Yeah, exactly. Before, like, before they're even starting to make all the, the sounds and the words. So we kind of missed that opportunity. And then before before I knew it, I was, you know, teenager and I, I didn't really want to learn it. And now, of course, it's one of my biggest regrets. Mm. And um, do you go back there often? No, I haven't been back for over, gosh, ten years, I think. How was it when you when you have spent time there? What kind of, what feelings invoke in you when you, when you do go back there, not being able to speak the language, but being surrounded by a culture that you technically belong to? It's a really interesting feeling because mm. it's a feeling of being disconnected and connected at the same time. Yeah. It's a feeling of belonging, but also not understanding my environment. And um, and the older I get, the more sort of um, I suppose sadness I have around that disconnection because actually my Japanese heritage has given so much to me. Certainly in my acting career, a lot of the roles that I've um, that I've done have been you know related to the fact that I look Japanese or look different. The character that I'm playing at the moment on The Walking Dead is is very specifically half Japanese heritage. They actually was going to be half Japanese, half American, and they changed it to be half Japanese, half British for me, which was such a gift to me um, in so many ways. And I feel this sort of great sense of um, of loss, I suppose, yeah, like that I loss, don't have that, you know, that connection, mm. like I don't speak the language. And it's something that I'm going to try and change, I think. I might try and learn. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting because both myself and my sister have had a very similar experience with that. So I really resonate mm. with everything you're saying. I actually did speak the language uh, Nepalese until I was seven years old. Then we moved to England and my dad, similarly to yours, um, is a doctor and spent so much time away from home, you know. Um, and we lost it because my mum is Ukrainian. And at the same time, we're trying to pick up fluent English. So... Yes. There was too many languages to hold on to and Nepalese fell away. And we went back last year and what you're saying about belonging, disconnected, but slightly connected, we both really felt that and we went home being like, that wasn't the trip we expected. 
but you know we feel like we gained something but there's this huge sense of loss I think for something that you never you haven't experienced but you feel you should have in a way yeah I don't know if you felt something similar to that yeah I do and I feel it particularly with my daughter because I want her to mm. have a more of a connection you know actually she's only a quarter Japanese but I want her to feel that in a way that I didn't so I'm aware of that I'm aware of sort of um rekindling that in a way for her um and, and it's also been been an interesting journey in terms of what I choose to do you know as a job because because of the way I look I sort of fall somewhere in between because I don't look conventionally Japanese um and I don't look completely white I think that's been kind of strange for people particularly mm. casting people they're like where do we put this do you person? feel like yeah. there's been pros and cons to it again similarly I fall into that same non-specific bracket so yeah. and you've been in the industry longer than I have how have you found that especially because you know there's been quite a bit of change mm. and with that whole diversity hashtag um flying around as well these days has it played in your favor I think it has I've had to be patient I suppose with the opportunities that have come along and trust that they will come along like I said, um, the the part that I'm playing at the moment is so specific, you know. That must feel great, though, to well, kind yeah. of be able to have a chance to connect with it in that yeah. way. Yeah, like certainly when, when, when the um, audition came through, I remember thinking, oh, like, well, I mean, there's, I'm going to be in a very small pool of people to get this part. You know, the age range, the specific casting of the nationality. It's like, you know, this might be the one. This might be my, my shot. I think I've also lost probably many, many years where I've kind of been, my nationality's sort of been a bit annoying, I think, for people. They're like, oh, because they'll get me in for, um, you know, a big film that's casting with, a, with you know, lots of uh, Chinese or Japanese characters in them. And you put me up against a Chinese or Japanese actor who looks fully Asian and they'll be like, oh, gosh, you don't look, oh, you don't look Japanese at all, actually. You sort of look right. more British than ever. Similarly, if you put me up against loads of white girls, they're like, oh, no, you look way too exotic and str like, well, what do we do with you? So I think um, that hasn't served me well for, for, for a long, long time. But but maybe because the landscape's changing a bit, maybe because people are a bit more ready to embrace the grey areas and, and all of us who fall somewhere in between those two things. Does that, you know, how you touched on um, feeling now about your identity, um, I guess that probably becomes amplified when those types of experience happens coming out of a casting going geez so it's not like I can't act it's just they're just going I'm not one or the other so yeah. that must be so frustrating were you aware from the get-go that it was so much about look because I remember beating myself up going oh I didn't do good enough yeah. I really thought it was about the talent it's quite often never really about no. the talent no. the truth is I beat myself up all, all the time I say oh, god it must have been me I must have not done it right I must have you know I'm still working on that I'm still wrestling with that sort of having that um, self-confidence I suppose to be like oh it's just we're, you know we're in an oversubscribed business like mm -hmm. sometimes it's just not going to go your way and quite often it's probably going to be because of how you look I've become I suppose I'd like to think a bit more sophisticated with how I handle that now that knowing that and it's definitely served me well in other areas too like I've because I sort of don't look one or the other and people can't place my ethnicity often I've been able to play other ethnicities mm. that aren't my own um, which I'm not sure I could still do and I'm not sure I should still do you know um, I've played a lot of Russian characters you know what I mean I've played Chinese characters Korean characters sort of non-specific 
uh, roles where they've been trying to get, you know, they, they want to get somebody a bit more diverse in and I kind of um, tick that box because you can't really place me. But that's worked in my favour too because I've got to play roles which I wouldn't normally have get, got Have you play. gone into castings and they've gone, oh, we're looking for an East Asian, East Asian character and they won't they won't know the difference between them but they've oh, just yeah. gone on your looks like i get loads of breakdowns where i'll be like indian or pakistani right. like you know they're different yeah right, right? yeah exactly and yeah i get chinese slash japanese slash korean slash other and also um i think i'm sure we all experience the same thing where um you'll go in for a part sometimes and when you see the person who's got it, you're like, oh, you were releasing everyone. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, because we and look nothing alike. You've just cast a 50-year-old um, black woman, yeah. for example. You're like, oh, okay, right. We yeah. were just, you were really like casting the net wide <laughs> on this to, to find a diverse actor. Yeah. But also, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe my ethnicity like how do you what what do you guys call yourself my twitter profile says ambiguously foreign oh that's perfect <laughs> that's just me being a bit of a dick about it <laughs> <laughs> no not at all i mean i'm stealing it yeah take it i i tend to just go british asian or british indian see british asian british indian because you know in america asian kind of covers also like do i say east see, i don't even know east asian like what, what well in america I, people say uh, from my understanding if if I can't say I'm Asian there, whereas here I'll say I'm half Asian. But there they'll go, no, you're not. Right, exactly. Because yeah. I'm not right. Chinese they'll, or Japanese. Or, yeah. Here you know, I think they mean they that, flag that, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like Chinese, Japanese, Korean. But but I think, here it means yeah. maybe more South Asian. I mean, people say East and yeah. South, yeah. South Asian. A lot of my friends will call Isn't themselves South Asian. Isn't that weird that we don't really know? Yeah. But it's like, pretty bizarre. But also kind of like... Yeah, like, how do I describe myself? We can't be put in... We can't be put we in a box, guys. We can't be put in a box. We've been trying for <laughs> years. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, my God. So then how does that feel coming out of drama school and being in the big, wide world where you're not necessarily in, in you know, the cocoon of a drama school where, you know, you start to make friends, you feel a sense of a safety net. Um, from an acting point of view, you're probably pay- playing any role that you can because yeah. of what's there. And then you come out and, and it's you mm. against the world casting directors directors producers agents like does that did that throw you or did you sort of embrace it um i think to be honest i've always tried to fit in so i think looking back and i look back on sort of how i was when i left drama school i sort of want to you know i sort of feel a bit sorry for for the younger ellie matsuro because i think i was just so desperately trying to be a people pleaser yeah. and trying to fit into the box that everyone wanted to put me in or just be the person that, you know, that they told me I was. You look like this, therefore you can play these parts. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, I'll be, you know, I'll be the best that I can do at, at that. You want me to be um, the hard-nosed American lawyer? I'll do it, you know. Um, the older I've got, the less bothered I am about that. And the more I, I have to be honest and say, the more I've stood up for myself in that respect like the more I've sort of gone actually no I don't want to do that anymore I'm really yeah. tired of just being told by other people what to do or how to be actually the more rewarding it's become I'll try and give you an example like having my baby who's two now so she's not really a baby anymore but um, that allowed me to say no to a lot of things that mm-hmm. I perhaps normally wouldn't have said no to before because my priorities just shifted and I was just suddenly like no I don't want to be that anymore um and by saying no, all of a sudden, I got probably the best jobs that I ever got 
different kinds of parts were starting to come in and opportunities that I actually hadn't had before. And I couldn't help but think, well, wow, the I don't think it, yes, it's the power of no, but it's also um, being very clear about uh, what I really want, I suppose. Did becoming a mother force you to be picky, obviously, but more specific about the choices you made within your career and the choices that you make when you kind of get castings through, whether to go for them or not? Definitely, because because now I have a completely different focus. Like, mm-hmm. like she comes first and my family comes first. Um, so that's sort of shifted everything. Whereas before, I think I probably would have just been a yes person to, you know, everything that came along. Um, so absolutely. But I also I also wonder about, I know I've said this already, I've, t- I've used the term career like many, many times since we've just been sat here. But I actually wonder about the term career, if that even really exists. Well, that's really interesting. In what, yeah. how, can you expand on that? Yeah, like, well, I, I guess I mean, I think the idea of having a career can come when you're really in a position of privilege. So like, if you're, you've already made it, you know, to a certain um, place where uh, you're a bit, maybe a bit of a name, or you have um, a body of work behind you um, that's made you uh, more prominent somehow, that then... Because really what a career is, is choice, I think. You know, you're making, you're allowed to have choice in what you do next. And that somehow defines this thing that we call a career. Whereas most of us, the rest of us, I would say, are just trying to make the best decision with the thing that comes in. And if I'm really honest, when I'm, even though I've used the term career, I'm really just talking about my experience thus far. In truth, my experience thus far has been like, it's not been like a smorgasbord of choice. Mm -hmm. It's just been like, you know, do you want to do this job or, or not? And most of the time it's been yes, because I need an income, I've got a family now, you know, or I just want to work because, you know, we're actors and we, we, we need to exercise that <laughs> that muscle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, but in terms of a career, uh, I haven't, I'm not at that place yet where I've, I've got the luxury of, of choice. It sounds like you were an ambitious actor coming out of drama school and, and with the work that was coming in. And then when... The time came about um, when you were, you know, going to have a child. How did that feel? Were you frightened? Were you excited? Were you concerned how it may affect your career? All of the above. I was definitely frightened. Um, I I remember feeling like I should be careful about who I tell. I remember thinking if people know that I'm pregnant, then I'll be out of the game for a long time. I remember thinking if people know I've had a baby, they might just stop considering me. And I talked to a lot of um, a lot of mums, parents um, who are actors, and you know I got a mixed level of, of stories coming back to sort of affirm that. Really, I'm going to share this story with you. I remember like being nine weeks pregnant, so a little bit early to sort of tell people. And all of those thoughts that I just mentioned, like running through my head, like when do I start to tell people? Should I tell people in the industry? Um, and I was at a, uh, a drinks reunion with um, like uh, f- friends, a cast that we did. We did this uh, play together in the in the West End, and we we're still really good mates. And we were having a bit of a reunion, and uh, I was sitting there thinking, I wonder whether to tell people. And this story came up where someone said, Oh my gosh, have you heard this actress um, who's working in a play at the National Theatre just got fired for being pregnant? I was like, what do you mean? And like, yeah, yeah, she she 
she was doing the job. She's already like got the job. She's on stage in the middle of the run, but she's starting to show now. And so the director fired her because he said he no longer saw her in the role. And there was, of course, outrage at the table. Everyone's sort of saying, well, what do you mean? What happened? Like, they're like, nothing. I mean, he could just sort of get away with, with doing that. And my heart just broke because oh, I just no. thought, oh, my God, this is, this is very real. Like, this still happens. And, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that story, not to mention that it was sort of just before the Me Too movement really kicked off. So I think if that had happened, I mean, like, just before. Mm-hmm. So if that had happened during, you know... Um, the sort of uh, incredible movement that Me Too um, inspired, like I think that probably wouldn't have been able to happen. I like to believe that that wouldn't have been able to happen. However, that's not the story. The story is she got fired and this director is, I mean, he's still a huge director, pulls in stars, he's got, like, you know, he wins accolades, like... It's a tale as old as time. Mm. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my God, like, this is very, very real. Um, So I kept it to myself for a while. (laughs) But then there comes a point when you're pregnant. I don't know if you know, but you can't really keep it a secret (laughs) for that long. Uh, And then um, what did happen, which I I hope is... um, I hope is a, something positive to take away from this is that because genuinely my career suddenly got really great career. My all the work I got suddenly became really interesting and varied. I remember I got a, a I did a, like a job on um, a TV show on Shetland, and um, the director said, you know, oh yeah, you're showing. I think I was like 24 weeks at that point, so like a not a massive bump, but enough to sort of be noticeable. And she just said, oh, yeah, well, the, your, the detective you're playing could be 24 weeks pregnant. We just won't mention it. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. That must have been so reassuring. Yeah, like so reassuring. Was so that, refreshing. sorry, was that in the audition room? No, I didn't tell them in the audition room okay. because I was scared of not getting the job. And then when I got the job, I had to tell them. And their response could not have been um, nicer. It could not have been more welcoming. She was was like, it a oh, female great. director? It was. Do you think yeah. it would have been the same if it was a male director? Who knows? Yeah, it's, Who knows? it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Mm. Um, but it was definitely, I definitely felt supported in that moment by the, by the, the woman. You know, by the fact that it was a female director and leading that, that you've show. You've been with the same agent since drama school. Yeah. Um, so have I. Have you? And I don't know. I think we're one of the few. Yeah. <laughs> Why have you stayed with your agent for oh. forever? Well, it's interesting. It's not like, again, when I was talking about the career thing, it's not like I was one of those people that came out and had a a load of choice. Agents weren't clamoring at my door to represent me. He was the first person that contacted me. Um, I think I'd only had like interest from like two or three people. He was the first person to make contact after my showcase at drama school. And he was the first person I met. And I just got a good vibe from him that he was a real person and he was thoughtful and and caring and he listened to me and I felt like we got on as people and not just in a business sense and I thought that I felt like that was somehow going to be really important and it's proved to be because actually I think um, it's the business side of show business that's that I find the hardest Um, and actually I think I need more support I've discovered about myself over the years that um, I sort of need more of a friend and an ally and somebody that I can call and um, be honest with and speak from my heart. And um, he's become like a real friend of mine and somebody who I know is like just rooting for me. 
not just as my agent, but as as a mate, um, uh, as a confidant. Um, so that's hard to replace. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Now I found yeah. I sort of feel like, well, I can't I can't go back to just the business side of things. I've got somebody who does both. Did you ever have the insecurities maybe in the early years, maybe, you know, when you were just having quiet moments of going, oh, my God, I may get dropped or, oh, no, maybe I need to look somewhere. Else. Did you ever have those thoughts or did you always know this is my sort of ride or die agent? You know, that's it's such a good question because I think that's kind of what I'm talking about, which is that, like, I never, ever felt that fear of, like, I'm going to be dropped that's amazing. by him. I felt the opposite. I always felt like if it was quiet and I was having a particularly bad run of it, I could call him and I could say, hey, what's up? Or I'm feeling like like nothing's going on or I'm panicking or I'm skint or I'm bored or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like what what can you, how can you help me? And he'd always be able to give me um, a brilliant answer and, and, and reassure me and help me. And that's a quality which I've come to realize is very rare mm-hmm. because there are a lot of my um, friends who kind of, um, like people, really talented people that did that thing. I don't, does this still happen? Where they like might sign with a really big agent. And then, yeah. And then like, like you know, inevitably aren't going to be getting work straight out of the gate, you know, few months go past maybe a year goes past maybe two years goes past and then they get dropped and I just find that so devastating because it's so nothing to do with their talent you know it's nothing to do with them um, how hard they're willing to work and if they don't have that sort of um, faith from their agent who should be the one rooting for them and yeah. cultivating them and trying to nurture them through um, it just feels like such a terrible waste I never had that with my agent. I think he, I really think he's one of the good ones. Darren Rugg, guys, you should contact Darren him. He's Rugg. really good. Ruggles, he's the best. <laughs> Ruggles, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give a quick shout out to my agent on on that note because I remember, and I hope she doesn't mind me telling this small antidote. But um, when uh, when I joined her, she she sent me an email saying, you know, we'd love to represent you, and she left this one liner at the end, and I hope I'm not going to embarrass her with this, but she said, even if you decide not to go with me, friends, no matter what. And that got me. That I was like, I'm in. Sold. I was sold just <laughs> on that. It. Do you not think it's it's um yeah, there's personal touches Absolutely. I think actually matter so much because it's the it's humanizing this yeah. business, in, in which industry, can be so cold. Yeah, and that's not only just cold, but also often feels a bit like a meat market and a yes. and a machine that you just put into and rolled out as a product sometimes. I think being able to have that person you know who is dealing with the business side but that relates to you as a human being is just so important yeah that isn't going to yeah. see you as a yeah. commodity and just yeah. another number coming through the door um, that understands yeah. that you know understands who you are Absolutely. and I think and sees you as a person I think being able to like you said pick up the phone <clears> and talk about your worries and kind of say actually I'm not happy going up for these roles or I'm not sure this is right for me or do you think I should do this I think it's so important because yeah. I've, I have so many friends that are just not happy with their representation, but yeah, kind of feel like they you don't know, have a choice. It's it's interesting. I, I like I think about when I left drama school and and sort of what um, what security net or plans were given to me when I left. And actually, I can't even believe I use those words because there weren't any. That's the, <laughs> that's what I'm trying. The point I'm trying to make is that um, really no one teaches you about auditions. Nope. No one teaches you about rejection. No one teaches you about um, those times when you're skint and, you know, um, and jobs aren't coming in and worrying about losing your agent or or no one teaches you about how to build a relationship with your agent. All of these things I learned just 
on the job kind of thing once I was out in the big wide world and I wonder if um certainly in drama school maybe they, like maybe they should be teaching yeah their students more of that stuff because that's the really juicy stuff and a bit of self-care you know yes yeah. definitely mental well-being which yeah. I think is so hugely lacking um I mean how do you find both rejection and downtime how do you how have you dealt with it over the years because I assume you, I mean your CV is great but we all know that that's not the rea- that doesn't reflect the reality of no, of those gaps. Not. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those gaps and like you know, for every yes, there's a million no's and all that yeah. sort of stuff. I think again, the older I get, the wi- the wisdom I am learning <laughs> from aging is um, community. I think is a big one. Like even doing this, you know, mm. getting together and and talking and um, finding your tribe and keeping them close, people that understand you and um, that you can talk to and share your experiences about about what it's like to be out of work or what it's like to be rejected, especially for something, um, you know, if you, a big job comes up and you and you get really close and you don't get it, that's a very particular kind of pain. Yeah. You know, yeah. the only yeah. actors really understand. And I've learned that to have your friends around you that really get it, they don't have to be actors, but just like your community is, um, is becoming like the most important thing to me. Do you think becoming a mother has sort of shifted you? I know you, you've said it shifted your priorities, but do you think it's shifted your perspective on things like rejection and work? I definitely take the rejection um, less seriously, I suppose. Or, or, or I really struggle with rejection, actually. I think there's this sense in this in our industry, which is like, you know, that's part of the deal. Like you, you're just going to be rejected. You just got to pick yourself up brush yourself off and and carry on. Of course, you have to do that. We can't wallow in every rejection we get. We'd never, you know, leave the house. But I also sort of feel like we have to be, there has to be a bit more kindness and a bit more awareness of, of how brutal that industry is. And like, we have to learn how to stay soft in, in this mm. industry that's constantly trying to yeah. make us hard because actually it's our softness and our vulnerability that's probably going to be the thing that we cherish most when we when we actually get to do the job. So I've learned to try and give it less weight, I suppose. I've learned that the joy of having my priority somewhere else, like having my kid and her being happy is way more important than, you know, than whether I get a job or not. I really want to go back to, because this sort of ties in with motherhood as well, when you, mm. when you did... Um, have uh, your daughter did you then take time out how was that for you did you carry on working and a lot of mums do just continue working throughout I have had a very uh, interesting experience actually because as I said before I was so worried about not working I actually ended up being more busy than I ever have Mm. all through my pregnancy and as soon as like straight after having my daughter so I filmed quite a few things when I was pregnant I had film companies or TV companies I should say completely um, embrace my pregnancy, making costumes that um, hid it, you know, that were comfortable enough for me to move in, shooting things like, you know, from chest upwards and all that sort of stuff. Or like I said, in that example in um, Shetland, Rebecca Gatwood, like just saying, yeah, character can be pregnant. And we're not going to bring your daughter on, on, on set with you. Or how was, how did so that once I once I had the baby, um, this one job in particular said, oh, we want to bring your character back. It was something that's filming in Ireland. And I said, well, I'm, I'll, as you know, because it was, I'd, I'd filmed with them when I was pregnant. They then wanted to bring my character back. And I was like, well, I will have had the baby then. So, and they were like, yeah, great. You know, 
this never happens, by the way. They said, when, how much time do you need off? And when would you like to come back? To which I went, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And they said, yeah, when do you want to come back? And I was like, oh my God, okay. Uh, whoa, panicked, didn't know what to say. I said, oh, well, in, in three months time? I felt like that was a kind of round number that sounded um, safe and long <laughs> enough at the time. Um, and then of course I got three months, as in like, I'm talking like three months from the birth. And I felt like, oh my God, why did I agree to this? All I want to do is stay at home and look after this child. I was still breastfeeding. My body was just like all over the shop. I was like, what, what have I agreed to? But they absolutely embraced me and took care of me. They, is it okay to talk about breastfeeding on this podcast? They made me a corset because my character is you know, very like corseted uh-huh. up and everything. They made me a breastfeeding corset no so way. I could pop out. Like, you, I mean, you women will understand how long it takes in, you know, if you've ever worn a corset, like <laughs> how long it takes to get in and out of one of those things. So they made me one and with a special kind of like bit That's of a amazing. boob that like popped out so I could feed my child on set. <laughs> they set up a tent at the side of the, um, of the set. So a private heated tent. So my baby could be brought to set and I could just nip off and feed her. Um, wow. In between That's fantastic. scenes. fantastic. So you feel like the industry has accommodated mothers. I just, I guess, I guess I just feel a responsibility to share that story yeah. for yeah. women, Brilliant. you know, who 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 are you know, actresses that might be in a similar position who are worried about that kind of thing. And believe me, I've had experiences since this one where it has been not as really? uh, yeah, not as joyful, and definitely much more of like a okay, um, oh gosh, you need to break now to go and feed your baby. Okay, you know, tapping the watch. Like, wow. Okay, you've got five minutes. And the and first is like, yeah, we need to get. Yeah, the, the first is freaking <laughs> out. Then it's like, oh god, these actresses and their babies. You know, <laughs> like it's it's. I've definitely had um, a lot of a handful of sort of more negative experiences for that one positive experience. But I want to share the positive experience because yeah. it's really important because. I didn't hear experiences like that when I was pregnant. I was terrified. I was terrified of that happening to me. Um, but it can be done. And how was it? Um, because your other half is an actor as yeah. well. And how was it in terms of navigating that? Do you feel the sense of only one of us can work and one has to have the time off? Was that difficult in the early days with your little girl? This is an excellent question, Sag. <laughs> um, so when I, um, when I got The Walking Dead, um, Yoshi, my daughter, she was um, six months old by this point. And uh, I was like, wait, what? So you want me to move to Atlanta to start shooting this crazy show which shoots out in the, you know, the tropical heat out in the woods. And I was, th- I was still breastfeeding her and I was just like, this is crazy. And I was like, well, we don't you know, have a nanny system in place or anything. And so what we'll have to do is all move out there as a family. Like husband will have to come with, baby will have to come with, there's no other option. And that's how we did it. We just made it work with the idea that um, Trevor, my husband, he will just still, he'll be, he'll take whatever work he gets. And if he needs to fly back to England to do a job, we'll figure it out. We'll get a nanny in for that week or we'll find childcare somehow. We'll just make it work because we have to make it work. Um, and Trev coming out and and being the main carer for Josh while I worked was of course something we discussed, but, um, the praise 
he got for it. It was just like, man, you, you're the guy. <laughs> you are dad of the year. Like, and I got a lot of like, you are so lucky to have a husband that comes out with you. Doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come like, on like, now. <laughs> you doing, you filming and, and him look, God, you're so lucky. And here's the thing. I am lucky. I'm, he's a great husband and a brilliant father. Like, I feel very, very lucky. But I'm telling you now, if it was the other way around, I wouldn't be getting that praise. No. I wouldn't be getting no like medals. Expected. Yeah, 100%. but it's, it's happening it now. It should be expected yeah. both ways. Exactly. I mean, it's lovely that he's getting the praise. I but, mean, it's, um, it's great. I mean, but it's also his job as a dad and a husband, exactly. actually, to support you. Exactly. And it would be the same the other way around, I yeah. assume. Sidebar, yeah. I can also second that because I recently worked with Trevor, for anyone yes. listening, <laughs> and he's one of the kindest men he's the I've best. ever met. And he was playing this hard-nosed character as well. Oh, God, you and guys then, both, both of you. Yeah, 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 yeah wow. we have to play real so one's ex, in the family. We're actually really nice <laughs> behind the scenes. He is. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely man. He is, he is. And he's, he's about to go and do a job um, in Toronto. Um, and which is so fantastic because now it's here we go like the role the roles are reversed not out of choice but just mm. because it's happened thank god you know he's got this lovely job and of course I'm going to go out there whenever I can with with Yoshi and we're going to see him as much as we can but I haven't had any I haven't had any um, high fives from anyone yet no one's turned around well, to me well you got high fives from me thanks mate, mate. <laughs> thanks like he has I said to Travis have you had any like god you're so lucky and he was like no and I was like isn't that weird like we still yeah, yeah it's still quite old fashioned when it comes to that isn't it yeah yeah. the, the roles yeah that, and that we have to take on yeah and yeah. is that you find when one of you book a job that's now the first conversation okay what are we going to do who's moving where What we? whereas before it's like oh my God, this show could do really well. Oh my God, it's this much money. You know, the conversations have now changed as to what the priority is within that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say for Trev and I, we are we are dreamers, just like as, as uh, you know, people. We're not, um, and maybe me a bit more than him, he's a bit more business-minded than me, but I'm, I'm, I get a little bit more... Um, Romantic, I suppose, about the idea of um, of what I want out of my my job and my life and things like that. So that's always the first priority for me when a job comes in. I'm like, do I want to do it? Like, is it is it a really cool part? Like, is it gonna is it gonna fulfill me? And like, you know, is it gonna be like a good soul fulfilling, gorgeous, juicy part? Um, of course, the money comes into it. Of course. Um, family priorities like where we're going to live does it suit us now because we move around as a family of course that's massive but um but i don't think we've ever let that stop us from making decisions based on on our hearts like do we yeah. want to do it is it going to make us happy no that's amazing and actually you've touched on the fact that um you've worked in america for a fair bit of time at the moment trevor's going to be out there in, in canada mm -hmm. so when you were prior to the walking dead were you getting much american work were you being seen for a lot of american projects yeah, I, uh, I would, I'll, I'd play a lot of American roles. I really enjoy playing American roles. I like doing accents. Um, I felt very confident. I feel really confident doing doing the American accent, particularly as I said. You know, grew up, grew up there, so I have this sort of connection with it. And uh, and I always felt like. Um, the characters, you know, the, like the American characters, I always get to play with a bit, bit more interesting, a bit more yeah. sort of like say what how they feel. Take you know? more risks in a way with their scripts, don't they? Yeah, 
Yeah. For female characters, especially, I find. Yeah. Even in the, even in the plays, you mm-hmm. know, when you go back to and you've got like Arthur Miller or Tennessee Williams, like those female characters are so rich and yeah. Yeah. brilliant. And I um I always uh, I always just loved I loved that. So I've always been drawn to to American characters. I think I started to get a little bit more American work. Um, you know, like American stuff that shoots in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'd start to uh, get a little bit more of a body of work there. So, like, I'd start to do work for, like, the same networks, maybe, you know, like AMC, um, which I think all helps because then the next time you're going up for a job and if AMC is carrying that show, I guess that can serve you well sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually making the leap to go over to the States um, was was a sort of more uneven process for me. Like, I went over to do pilot season a couple of times um, with not much luck, actually. Every time I've been meaning to go, I keep I book work here, so I'm not oh, staying. Isn't that, isn't that funny though? So when funny. You do that Every time I, I book, I'm yeah. like, oh, I've got to cancel those flights. Yeah, but that's kind of great. Like, it's like, because your mind is probably trying to focus on, okay, when I get to the states, I need yeah. to do this, and you're yeah. so relaxed going into these meetings. I, I totally agree. I think when your focus shifts, absolutely, then then suddenly a job comes. When you in. book a flight. The job comes in. Every time, every time, book a holiday and mm. then you'll get a job. So in regards to the America thing, mm. did you have hesitations or... I mean, the thing is, as actors, if you are becoming an actor, no doubt you want to get to the Mecca. You want to yeah. work in Hollywood. You want to do the American stuff because uh, the scripts tend to be better. The money tends to be better. Opportunity, the opportunity tends, to be, tends to be better. The profile tends to be better. It gets to a wider audience. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you know, a stage actor, Broadway is absolutely the, yeah, the 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 pinnacle of it. So when you were here, did you have any frustrations about how far you could go? Was there a glass ceiling for you? I definitely noticed that um, there were there were people that looked like me, or or quote unquote exotic looking people um, whose uh, ethnicity was blurry um, who were playing bigger roles in bigger shows in sexier parts in the States. That was undeniable to me. Um, here, I definitely felt like that w- those opportunities weren't at that time available to me. Like you can play friend of or, you know, doctor or um, lawyer or uh, whatever. So I, I, I did what I think, I think a lot of diverse actors do, which is sort of go, I'm going to try and go where the better opportunity is. I wouldn't say that's the truth, as in like, I, I don't think by like actually when the two or three times that I did pilot seasons over there, I found it to be a complete um, bun fight, actually. It was uh, so many more actors competing for the same role. So... Whereas in the UK, at least I felt like I had some sort of connection with the casting directors, people that would get me back in, I'd start to build yeah. relationships with. Um, and again, back then, used to go into an audition room and there'd be the director and the producer and the casting director. That was quite normal when you went in for a meeting, not even a recall, but like for a meeting. Of course, that's n- not heard of these days because everyone's making their own tapes. But um, in America, it was definitely much more of like, a, you're a number this is your time. There's no sort of niceties and hellos with casting directors. You walk in, you hit your spot, you say your lines, you're out. One go. One go. Yeah. No chit chat. And that I found really hard. I was like, okay, so I'm going for the part, but am I really? Like, mm-hmm. what? It, I, I couldn't figure out what the system was there, you know, and like, what is the sort of 
Are you looking at these parts? Are we really in the running? It didn't stop me from from still going and trying, but um, but I've never I never uh, got to the stage where I was like network testing or going in for you know big meetings with big producers. Like never, I never really sort of. I, so so in a way, I felt the ceiling more there. You know, um, and jobs that I've that I've got, particularly the big American jobs, have all been through tape, made in my bedroom. Tapes that which I which I sort of I feel mixed things about that because on one hand, um, it's great because we have much more control about the content that we're sending. We can I f- at least we can feel a little bit more in control of what we're putting out there. On the other hand, I sort of feel like um, we're doing the job now of casting director, director, cameraman, sound operator. Um, and it would be quite nice to have that feeling of getting into a room with a casting director. I don't mean like the good old days, but I've definitely had that, those experiences earlier on in my career where I felt like I was in much more of a dialogue with somebody, yeah. that um, someone was really giving me direction and that you could have a conversation about what it is they're looking for in a part. So it's not just about how you look. I miss that. I miss that connection, I suppose, the human connection that I, I, I'm getting less and less by making tapes for things and not meeting people. I, I've definitely noticed that the Americans are so good at picking out the British talent and bringing them over. Yeah. Like, I feel like I don't know if I could say there are actors that have just slip through the net in the states actually no then maybe there is a, a few i can think of but i'm just not going to say it i saw what um rizama did and the americans grabbed him i saw what daniel kaluuya did and the americans grabbed him yeah. what you've done and the americans have grabbed you like mm. it's you know it's such a fantastic thing because you know those names i've just mentioned including yourself like from looking at your work and also knowing your work you were never struggling here you know you were in two massive Broadway shows and, and uh, West End shows and in Enron and, and Bull and you've been working at the National and the Royal Court and screen shows and it's 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 fantastic that um that, that opportunity comes for the people who I believe genuinely deserve it. Well, that, well first of all that's really nice to say. Thank you. I mean I, I and I do I agree with you. I sort of I believe that it will find you. Mm-hmm. You know, I do. I do have this faith that, like, if it's meant, if, if it's yours, it will find you. Um, yeah. And that's not to negate any hard work at all. But uh, I, I have that 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 faith, I suppose, that you know, if it's yeah. meant to be, it will be. And if you don't get something, there's probably good reason for it. I can't help but feel that way. Otherwise, I don't know kind of what to believe in, really. Mm. Um, but I would say that that my priorities changed over the years, like. I think, I'll touch wood, but I think I, I would always work here. I think there was a consistency with work that I was getting. I was getting into a rhythm of, you know, getting steady work here, a TV bit there, a bit of theatre there, or, you know, that would grow into something else. And all of that's fine. But at some point I had to sit down and be like, what do I really, really, really want? And I think the question that kept coming back to me was like, am I going to be happy if this is my experience for the rest of my career, just taking whatever job comes along. And truthfully, I don't think it's gonna make me happy. And the thing that I'm learning now that I'm trying to step into is um, having more of a seat at the table, having a, having my opinion um, influence more uh, the work that I do, having a say. So um, I'm thinking about directing, writing, producing, um, I don't really know how 
I don't have a project that I'm attached to. Um, I just know that that's where I'm wanting to go because it's becoming more and more important to me. Um, my voice, I suppose, yeah. and uh, having some sort of say about what I'm putting out into the into the world and putting out in this industry because I've certainly felt in my career that the things I've said yes to and some of those things have been wonderful things and brilliant opportunities and I'm very, very grateful. I want to make that clear, but um, I have I've had very little say or control in what I do. I'm, I'm a part of someone else's vision. I'm fulfilling somebody else's story. Um, I've certainly felt like a very small cog in very, very big machines. And sometimes those machines are really shiny and lovely and come with lots of perks. But um, it's becoming more and more important to me to be a bit more uh, in control, I suppose, with the kind of stories that I'm telling and how I'm representing myself out in the world. That's all creative satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's really important also because of everything we've talked about, the kind of roles we're going for, from the experiences I've had in motherhood, all of this change has to happen from the top. And I think that's the only way I'm going to really do it. I can sit here and I can, I can, you know, we can share stories about, about all of our experiences and I can, you know, complain about certain things that I find that aren't satisfying to me or where I think the industry is going wrong. But truthfully, if I want to do something about it to change it, I've got to claim my space and I've got to um, start leading by example. And I mm. think I think that's only going to change if we start asserting ourselves in, in those more powerful positions. These things aren't going to change unless the gatekeepers change, unless the people Absolutely. from the top change. So we yeah. need to start being the producers, the gatekeepers, the, the directors, writers, the, directors. the writers. Yeah. Like, that's where it's got to be. So I think that's... That's where I'm going to try and go next. If that's if that's somehow an answer to your question about you know no, America is. and um, and my career here and sort of what's what's next, it's all about you know what 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 do we really want and how can we best serve? And I have no doubt that um, you will do that. And the <laughs> next time you come on the podcast, you'll have to tell us about that journey. But you know we are far over time. We have to oh, get sorry. we have I'm to get Amrita the to the theatre. Oh, you want to get to the theatre? <laughs> so. Oh my god, sorry. But we can't let you go. Without asking our final question. Oh, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what is your favourite part of the job? Is it, it's multiple choice, is it the phone call to say you got the job? Is it the process and the work and doing the job? Mm -hmm. Or is it the product, whether it be something coming out or the play beginning and doing the run? I'm sorry, but it's going to have to be the first one. And I know that's what everybody says, but it just is. It's just the best bit. Yeah. There's nothing quite like that phone call when you get the gig. It's really exciting. It's, it's you know, they've picked you out of everyone. You've defied all the odds. Yeah. And it's the beginning. It's the it's the feeling of, like, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that can be matched, you know, because after that, it's all... Um, the dream's getting chewed up and spat. Oh, no, I'm kidding. It's like, okay, I'm kidding. No, it's just the best bit. It is. It is. It is. Fantastic. Well, Ellie Matsura, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. No, Sorry if it got a bit intense. No, no. we love it. Jokes, we love it I? when it gets intense. Yeah, I think. Well, and there were plenty of jokes. Edit it. Edit them in. Just some random jokes. Right, you've got to get oh, to the theatre. Yes. No, yeah, they've got time. Okay.